Hi there, I'm talking to you. Yes, you. My name is Sherry, my pup's name is Sunny, and we're training to be an animal-assisted counseling team. You're listening to the Therapy Dog Talk podcast, the show that interviews past, present, and future therapy dog teams about how they're making an impact in their communities. Today we're talking with clinical psychologist Dr. Laura Peterson about her experiences volunteering through Pet Partners with her mini Australian Shepherd, Jameson, as well as partnering with him in individual and group therapy at the correctional facility where she works in Central California. We'll discuss why she recommends beginning with volunteer work, how she learned to read Jameson's communication, and how Jameson helps her to reach the people she works with. Before we hop in, if you're just getting started on your therapy dog journey and feeling a bit lost, I've put together a free guide for you, which you can find on my website at freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. Without further ado, meet Laura and Jameson. Hello. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm okay. How are you? Is that Jameson? It is. I was trying to get him to make a little appearance before he was a little bone, but this is Jay. Smiling Um, as always. Are you good? Are you good? You might hear squealing in the background. Love that is my other it. dog who's still in training. His name is Obin. Okay. He's a standard Australian Shepherd, but he's a big okay. Australian Shepherd. So Jameson's 23 pounds, which is even small for his miniature. And then Obin's almost 60 pounds, which is kind of on the bigger side of a standard. So nice. I just have extreme I like it. I guess. Well, Laura, for those who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself and your pups? My name is Dr. Laura Peterson. I am a licensed psychologist in the state of California, and I work alongside my family therapy dog Jameson at a maximum security institution for mostly men who have been touched by incarceration or some sort of severe mental illness in combination okay. with the forensic penal right. system. It's definitely a different situation than most of the people that we've talked to so far. So yeah, I know you'll be limited in terms of HIPAA and whatnot and what you can share, but I'm looking forward to learning a bit more about how you all work together. How did you originally find out about therapy dogs or bringing your dog to partner alongside you? Um, I've always been on the more creative side of things. And I feel like when I started grad school for my doctorate, I knew I wanted to integrate animals, but I had no idea how. And I've only been licensed, not even a full year yet. So I'm still on the beginning end of my career. But I knew part of it was getting the right type of dog with the right temperament. I know you guys have talked at length about temperament on this podcast, but getting the right dog and the right teammate to be able to provide those services. And I knew I would have to jump through a bunch of hoops because I wanted to work in prisons and with the forensic system since I was like 16 or something. So it was definitely not a super common place to have dogs, but thankfully that has changed quite a bit in the past 10 years or so. So I started in grad school volunteering with pet partners. And the reason I chose pet partners was mostly because of their extreme sensitivity to the research and to the backings of why they do what they do and they are the most stringent and I feel like that helped me to be able to get programs started in these massive institutions and taking it all the way up to Sacramento to get approval to do this intervention because it was so difficult for a long time to prove I'm not just bringing my dog to work although I am a crazy dog lady so that is understandable too. So it started that way and it's been a very long and arduous process but it's 100% worth it and I would not have changed Zana is singing your praises in the comments. I see that. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I know that there's a few people who have worked and done studies with animal assisted therapy in prisons. Dr. Cynthia Chandler comes to mind and also Dr. Colleen Dell up in Canada. But yeah, yeah, that's really cool. 
there's not a lot of them, that's for sure. I mean, comparatively to kids or to people with developmental disorders or to play therapy tactics, I mean, just corrections is not something you think of like, let's bring our dog to someone who's murdered someone. Like it doesn't naturally come up as an ideal intervention. There's a lot of risk of even just me as a female going in there, but now I'm bringing a vulnerable animal in there on top of that. So there's a lot more risks I have to take into consideration. And being in a locked facility, that involves Mm -hmm. a lot more infection control protocols, which you don't always think about when... Yeah, I know there have been studies though that show like how much of a correctional emotional experience it can be to work with animals with people that you would never think to bring in animals to work with. So that's really, really great. I work with a lot of long-term offenders and watching them melt into children as hardened criminals when they see Jameson, it just it yeah. makes it worth it all the time. Knowing that that's the first time they've even touched a dog, haven't had the opportunity to interact with nature, quite frankly. I mean, a lot of times, even their yards don't have trees or they're the grass is dead most of the time so even as something as simple as a tree let alone a living breathing responding animal it is an incredible experience to realize how connected yeah, we d- as human beings definitely are and to really help humanize people who have been dehumanized by so many yeah i love that absolutely and it helps them have the opportunity from a therapy standpoint to be able to work with something that is vulnerable, to be able to have the opportunity, the exposure to be around something that most people would be like, oh, I can't bring my child or my dog or whatever in with that person sort of thing. But this yeah. is the one time they get to be a human being again. So um, with the proper screening and ensuring safety is assumed right. or screened for appropriately, that's always course, the priority definitely. with this situation. So you knew that you wanted to bring a dog to work with you before you got Jameson then? Yeah, I I knew that was part of the plan. And so even when I was looking for Jameson, who was my first dog and is my first therapy dog, even when I got him as a puppy, I was first thing I did was temperament test at the breeder's house. Like, hold on, I'm not sure if I want him yet. Let's make sure he's a good fit. And I mean, as every parent does, there's tons of research trying to figure out like what they're supposed to do to rear this puppy. And he was started dog training at four months old. So he definitely was kind of destined for this. But I still had in the back of my head, like, it's okay if he doesn't have the right temperament and grows into it it's not for him that's okay and I think that's what helped us become more successful was because I was able to see that growth process and all of this training and be able to determine if he had what it took to be in this kind of a setting, yeah let alone yeah. Uh, what were some of the things that you looked for when you were looking for a dog I always joke that the kind of places I work are more like the Olympics of therapy dogs because we have the most extreme variations of everything, whether it be the alarms that echo through the hallways, the crash carts all the time, uh, people with chains and officers and screaming. And I mean, you get it all. It's a very high stimulus environment. And I did not start there. I started with college students or in libraries or things less intensive. But when I temperament tested him, it was looking for his reactivity. If I were to drop a can, what happens? If I were to drop something far away or if I were to move abruptly how does he respond is he able to handle it be interested but not reactive sort of thing and he definitely had that whereas Obin my other dog not so much yet and we're still kind of seeing if he's a good fit and if not that's okay but he definitely has the right heart it's just the reactivity piece is definitely a hindrance with therapy animals they have to be able to react without like hey oh you want to play and cuddle okay I'm going to jump on you oh by the way I weigh 70 pounds I'm going to push a child down so I've been learning the size plays a big role in them but with Jameson early on I think he had a lot of good training right from the get-go in addition to him being able to react calmly to other environmental situations and I was definitely the crazy dog lady that was bringing him everywhere and I was in SoCal at the 
time. So I'm sure you understand how easy that is to do. So he definitely had exposure. I had also made sure so hard that I would show him different ages, different types of people, different ethnicities, different outfits, even hats, all the stuff that might trip up a dog early on so that everything he saw. And how old is Jameson? He is six now. And I've had him since birth, basically. But his puppyhood was pre-pandemic then. It was, yes. And my other dog was born five days before the lockdown. So it's been a very different experience. Yeah, I was curious if you were working towards Oven coming to work with you too. Yes, but not for a while. If he gets certified through Pet Partners, Mm -hmm. then I want to volunteer with him first. Even though I do work in this capacity, I value the volunteer process. And that helps him understand his role. And we can establish each other as a team before he goes into a max security sort of environment. So even if he were to get certified, with pet partners within the next month, which I doubt that at this point, it would be at least another year before I would even submit his application and interview because, yeah, he had to interview. That was magical. To a state institution because I want to make sure that yeah. we work collaboratively. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the things that you work on together with them to build that team collaboration? I know this is very therapist of me and of all people you understand, but I definitely use a strength-based approach and I only use positive reinforcement with my dogs, which I have so many people that hate that, but I don't care. It is what this worked and I will continue to be persistent with that. I try to work with their strengths. So with Oban, he is a big herding dog, so he's involved in sheep herding. I take him up to a ranch every couple of weeks and we work on sheep herding and it helps yeah. us to have a team relationship because he's got to listen to me but at the same time, he's doing something he's instinctually driven at. While he has all this energy and angst as a two-year-old going on one. So I use his strength and I learn to build each other as a team. I also expose him to a lot of environments and help him understand how I react and be able to kind of read each other. Like we do with our patients, I think it's so important that we can work together and communicate with each other so that when stuff like that comes up, I can give a look to him. Or I mean, with Jameson now, if he's not having a good day, he just needs to give me a look. And I know, like I take them out of that environment and we're done. And that's okay. So I'm still working on that with Oban. He's still very goofy and silly and has a lot of angst. He reminds me of Goofy from Mickey and Friends. So I think we'll get there. It's just a matter of continuing to build that communication, continuing to reinforce that relationship before we go again and continuing to expose the different things that he made. Yeah, there's plenty of dogs that become therapy dogs later in life and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's okay. I mean, we did a practice test because Javison's pet partner's test was actually due. So I took Ogan for fun. And they were definitely laughing at how energetic he was. And I mean, the evaluators were cracking up because he was just too excited to be there. Like he could not control himself. It was comical to watch. And they're like, well, you know, he didn't pass. I'm like, that's okay. I just wanted him to have the experience of being here, of knowing what it's like to be comfortable with strangers he's never met before. And the joys of living in the Central Coast is that there's not a whole lot of people out here. So we had to drive quite a few hours to get to that test. So that was another element added into it is a high energy dog sitting in the car for hours before a test. Like that may happen. So it was a good experience for him. And it was also just good to see where he's at and kind of check myself. Like, okay, here's an objectifiable person telling me like, oh, here's what he did well on. Here's what he didn't do well on. And that gives me kind of a template of what to work on with him. Zana noted that animal communication also helped. So I don't know if that's something that you want to speak to. 
I mean, it, it does point blank. I think for how they, every dog communicates so differently, but at the same time, there are so many mm-hmm. nonverbal ticks they have that really just kind of nail in how they are. And in general, mm-hmm. Australian shepherds don't have tails. So because of that, I had to learn all the other ticks because I don't have a yeah. tail to literally yeah. guide me into their emotions. And so it kind of forced me to learn them in a weird way, like the ears and the eyes and the whale eye and the hunched shoulders and all the different things. And you know, the dog trainer obviously know these, but it helps me to learn it because I had to, like I didn't have the cheat sheet tail that everybody else gets, but they find all these really cool, creative ways to communicate. And it's interesting to watch. And I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, but Jameson definitely gives me the Jim Halpert look to camera a lot. Extremely fascinating. <laughs> oh, you mean the energy look, Santa. That too, but I'm not trained in that, so I can't speak to that too much. But they have their own ways of communicating that I use. And I use it when I'm with patients as well. And I honestly, I create an entire group about nonverbal communication because a lot of these guys didn't really have parenting. They didn't get educated on what nonverbal actually is. And even things like tone of voice is technically nonverbal communication. And these guys genuinely don't know that. So I use Jameson's reactivity to two things, like in the environment, like I'll bring in a toy for the group that day. And if he is into it, then I use that. If he's not into it, then I like, okay, well, what tells me that Jameson doesn't want to play with that toy? Like I use it as an educational method and it's really great because it's so in the moment and it really helps the guys to engage. And that's definitely something that in the places I have worked over the years is a problem is that these guys are forced mm-hmm. to be there. They don't want to be in therapy. And that is a whole different ballgame because getting them to engage, it's like that troublemaker in the yeah. back of the class who doesn't want to talk to the teacher. Like it's a room full of that. So it can be really challenging at times. But when you bring a cute dog in with a resting bitch face, it makes it really effective. <laughs> yes, it makes it a lot more fun for everybody. So I always get higher attendance. I would get higher engagement. Even if they're not into dogs, they come out of their shell and it's so fun to watch because it's just like, oh, I thought you didn't like dogs. And they're like, and I'm like, that's what I thought. So it makes it really fun to watch hardened older men come out of their shell, turn into children and actually engage with content or even talk sometimes. Like the bar is a lot lower in these sorts of facilities. So it's nice to have the communication, whether it be with the patients about Jameson and I've done that as well, or using projection method to kind of get them to talk about their own stuff by projecting it onto Jameson. That can be really helpful. And I think a lot of these guys don't want to talk about their own stuff for a long list of reasons. So it's nice to have all these avenues of communication and they aren't even with words most of the time. I love that. Barbara relates to your bouncy pup (laughs) because her golden doodle was very excitable as well for quite some time before she was ready to be a therapy dog. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It's reassuring. And even when I took Oban to the other test, there was someone there that was like, oh yeah, no, mine was just like the joys of having a dog sometimes. Come on, JJ. Yeah. There was somebody else at. His voice is similar to Sunny's. It's so cute. He's very much the star of the show, (laughs) I must say. I mean, I agree, but he gets very out, like, oh, you're yelling. <laughs> Are you happy now, You are in the limelight. So I like you in the star. Yes, Dr. Gallup agrees. <laughs> Cheese is essential. I mean, that's how the staff bond with him. So it's not just the patients at this facility that love him. Like, we have dog rounds where he goes to the various administrative yeah. offices and gets snacks. And we've actually started training the whole hospital. So now we go to different offices and he gets snacks all over the hospital. So it's like a little buffet for him all day, which if you do do that, I advise yeah. you to feed them less that day because he gets well, he a lot quite of the fan club in the comments, I see. He, yeah, he knows. He works every angle he's got, even the butt. I know this one's about me. He's like, you keep saying my name. I 
know. You say it and then you don't ask for me. So I don't understand what's going on. But yeah, he's definitely quite the star of the place that I work in, which is definitely a good thing because it just definitely reminds people that this is a lot more than just bringing you a dog to work and that I'm not only helping the patients be able to open up and be able to process things and be able to, it's like the class pet paradigm to be yeah. able to take responsibility and ownership of something. Like I remember one of my patients actually okay. caught, he had a foxtail once and it was a lifer and he was like, he's walking funny. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, look. And I was like, oh, he is walking funny. And then I looked too and we were able to verify Aww. like, no, he has a foxtail. And I was able to get him out, get him on medication, get the foxtail out, obviously. And he was out for a couple of weeks. But that yeah. patient was so proud of himself for catching it. Like was telling everyone like, oh, Jay will be back in a couple of weeks. He has a foxtail. And like all like he's Aww. the nurse of Jameson and he was so happy about it. And it's those kinds of stories that just like make it so much better. And I hear from other psychologists or therapists or clinicians about Jameson from their patients in the hospital. It's really weird. People will just email me and be like, oh, Jameson was talked about in the group today. And I'm like, well, of course he was. What else do you have to say about him? So he definitely has made quite the appearance and he quite the fun. And yes, he is extremely What does he enjoy about the um, besides the cheese? I mean, the cheese is a big part of it, but I think it isn't the biggest thing, ironically, because I mean, we all love cheese. But when he walks down those halls, those big halls with crash carts and alarms going off all the time, he is strutting his stuff. Like he is so proud of himself. He knows he's the tits. Like he is just walking down that hall. Like I love everything and everyone. And like he assumes everyone's going to love him and pay attention to him. And I do have people in the hospital that are afraid of dogs, have allergies to dogs, have medical conditions related to animals. And even then, like I have a patient with a wart on his finger, which is an infectious disease. And I was like, you cannot pet him. And the whole time he would just follow me around like, can I wear a glove? Like trying to find some way around it. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, you can't. But then asking questions and making it meaningful for him, even though yeah. he couldn't make physical contact with him. And so even when I'm in my office, he sits at the door and scratches at it. Like he does not like being in the office. He wants to go see patients the whole time. And even when we do go to the administrative offices to get snacks, he's just there for the food. But when he's with the patients, he's not about the food. He does not care. He's just there to be there. And he loves to be with them because he understands yeah. how much joy he brings them. So he mm -hmm. knows that what he does is important and how he behaves, how he works, how he integrates with the patients. And I mean, he still is able to advocate for himself. And I feel like I definitely preach that a lot as a sort of a place. Like, how do you self-care when you are passionate about yeah. what you do? Like, this is a big part of it. And for him, like he does, he's a very busy man. When he has groups, he, I always give him breaks afterwards. We always have a scheduled potty breaks so that he can have some space away from the patients just so that he's comfortable. And even then, if it's in the beginning of the visit, he's usually a lot more excited to get back in there. But if it's towards Leon, he starts to slow down and I'm able to advocate for him. As an easily burnt out dog, I wish I could burn out and go home that quickly, but he only works a half day because I don't want ever for him to be overworked. And so I take him home in the middle of the day and then I come back and all I get all day long, where's Jameson? Where's Jameson? Is he okay? Is he, did, did he get a good nap? I'm like, yeah, yep. He's living the best <laughs> life any of us could possibly live. So... He definitely makes a difference there. And I hope that we can continue to do more. COVID has definitely impeded a lot of that, as I'm sure you've heard from other people. But even with all the limitations, we've been able to still kind of advocate for this program and to be able to show them it's a lot more helpful than they realize. And I know I did have to send like a data report to Sacramento talking about how he has made a difference. And because of COVID, I can't do any hard evidence. I would love to do research, but that's not on the table during a pandemic. So I'm just anecdotal, like, 
like, here's the impact he's making. We are doing these groups. I've designed all these groups that involve him, whether it's talking about self-care and suicidality or social skills training or communication skills. We have found different ways to kind of make it work, given all the restrictions and limitations. And I think the biggest one is infection control of just like, okay, well, if my unit's on quarantine, he's not coming in because he can't wear an N95 like the rest of us. Or I don't want someone, even with sanitizer, to touch him and then touch someone else and spread it all over the hospital and it be on me. So it's just stuff you have to think about more stringently because of yeah. how confined yeah, this place is. Sure. So he is definitely a little famous man. And anytime he can't come in, all I get is complaints. So much so I've actually called out a few times where I know it's a Jameson day and I do can't come in for whatever reason. You're I'm like, Jameson's sick, so it. I'm sick. I'm his caretaker. I have to take care of him, What does obviously. a day off look like for Jameson? <laughs> now that he's the ripe old age of six, he's starting to act older, I guess. But he's kind of similar to me and he likes judging people. So when we go to the dog park to let Oban run around, he'll just sit with me at the table and be like, okay, what's he doing? Like, just the whole time and he's living his best life he also loves running on the beach and digging holes and then sitting in them that's a big positive for him and what else do you like these days little guy he likes to go to the sheep ranch with Oban for sheep herding but he doesn't really like the sheep herding part anymore because he's still little he can't keep up with them and he also has a luxating capella so that means his kneecap just pops out randomly so if he's running really fast it's not good for his knee so he just likes to hang out in the little horse trough that we used to cool the dogs off afterwards he just like sits there like he's living his little palm springs fantasy while everyone else is sheep herding so he's having a good time I love it. He's not what did you think of his little brother who's bigger than him yeah. it's a, a cohabited <laughs> experience i would say at first nobin was not able to listen at all like he just would not like jameson would very clearly like don't play with me leave me alone and Oban was just like you're barking too let's play so he has slowly been learning how to set boundaries and that Oban will listen to him and that he is the head honcho in the house whether anyone's <laughs> like it or not sometimes they play together and sometimes they tag team if i'm not like doing what they want they'll find a strategic way to work together to get whatever they want me to do to do yeah. like get out of bed sort of example but they they come happy that's the best i can say i wouldn't Laura, were there any resources that you found especially helpful when you were looking up how to implement him in your work, how to pitch him to being allowed to come to work with you? I think the big one with, I mean, you did this interview quite some time ago, was AAA, I really combined that partner's mm-hmm. research, but in a professional paradigm. It does have a lot of those networking opportunities, as Dr. Ruffin said in your podcast. And I think what also really helped me, which I know there's a big strife between counselors and psychologists, but I don't really care, is Dr. Chandler's book, Animal Assisted Therapy and Counseling. I think as with any specialty, I also did a supervision via Zoom with someone who had been doing it in a general setting in another state just to make sure that I was on the right track and kind of be able to spitball and brainstorm. And I think that yeah. collaboration was really helpful. And then the other thing that I thought was helpful to be able to confidently say it was in my scope was the CHAIS, which is a certification as a human animal intervention specialist okay. provided by Oakland University. It's an online course and it tons of resources. That's actually how I found my supervisor for animals and stuff. It also has a capstone project and that makes you kind of think through how to integrate 
all of the various dynamics that go yeah. into establishing and maintaining a program, as well as the research side of it. And I thought that was extremely helpful because we both know normal grad school doesn't cover it. So it was nice to be able to have the formal education part because I think that's so foundational to me, being able to make groups, to be able to consider all the moving parts quite literally in this case. And then I don't know, Dr. Aubrey Fine's book, Animal Assisted Therapy Handbook, which was the like gold standard of this scope. He wrote quite a bit, not he specifically, but somebody wrote quite a bit in that book about the diamond and the triangle model of therapy. And I definitely encourage people to work with handlers when they're first starting out. When I was doing my internship, I used Pet Partners volunteers and I jumped through all the hoops for them to get them to be able to bring their dogs into a prison setting. While I did the therapy part, they got to do the dog part. And it was really helpful because one, I got to learn about their dogs and it was cool. I used two different handlers with two different dogs and they were extremely different than Jameson. Yeah. So it was also a good learning opportunity for me to see like all the different temperaments that work really well with these settings. And based on the dog that came in, it totally determined the mood and the, the environment and the milieu of the actual group, which was really interesting to watch and see play out too, and help me to kind of hone in on that and to be able to use that energy that the dog brings in, whether it's the, I'm the chill lab that just wants to hang out and get pets versus the, I'm the poodle that does 600 tricks and can do a backflip. Like the energy yeah. is very different between those two. And having that diamond model prior to kind of honing in on the triangle model uh, was really helpful for me, especially when I was still in grad school and still yeah. kind of giving I can't remember if I read it or heard it or what it was. Someone was talking about how like they have learned from every animal partner that they've had. It might have been Dr. Van Fleet in her book. I'm not really sure. But just any time like you think you've really learned it, you work with a different partner, different animal partner, a different client. There's just so many new things that come up that it's always you're always learning. You're always growing. Yeah, 100%. And even just with Jameson, I've learned a lot of different sides of him because I started him. He was a pet partner certified dog when he was literally one. Like the week after he turned one years old, he passed his first test. And baby Jay yeah. versus six-year-old Jay are two very different dogs. And starting with hanging out with college kids and the students <laughs> loved it when he would shred all their study guides. But that was funny to them. Dog it was my homework. experience, I must say. <laughs> Quite literal. Yeah, it was magical. But then now that he's older and he's more mature and he's more calm, quite frankly, he's been able to do more of the high-risk patients where he can maintain calm when somebody is extremely violent around him and he's able to interact with them safely and know his boundaries. And that's something that one-year-old Jay could not have done. So even just within one dog, I've learned a lot of change, but having them in model in prison helped me to see all the different types of dogs as a whole and how they integrate yeah. with mental Do you have volunteer therapy dogs at your facility or it was just that you brought them in to work with you in that diamond model? When I was at that facility, I did but I've changed facilities okay. since then. So currently we don't, but we don't have any volunteers okay. coming in at all right now because of COVID. So if it were up to me, I would happily take volunteers in. But because of COVID and we're trying to minimize yeah. the amount of humans in the building, that's not happening right now. So I kind of got sure. forced into the triangle model, unfortunately. But if it were up to me, I would still want to bring in volunteers. One, because it's an incredible experience. And two, it would help me sharpen my skills. And three, I could have more dogs in there at more times because the other people piece that I hold dearly is that within 24 hours of going mm -hmm. into the facility, Jameson has to be washed. And I can't do that more than once a week on his poor skin. So if I were having volunteers come in, I yeah. could easily do two or three groups on different days and be able to mix it up and then be able to get more of the hype going with some of the other clinicians. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And also so. you could have a volunteer come in in the afternoon when Jameson's at home. So that you don't have to hear where's Jameson. I mean, you totally. still might because exactly. I'm guessing he's still going to be the most popular dog on campus, but... Yeah. 
but it's just we've yeah. got to get a lot of COVID barriers out of the way first before we can do that again. But it's definitely been on my radar to get volunteers back yeah. in here in regard to helping them provide services, but also being able to kind of open yeah. the doors to more services. That's well, Laura, it's very clear right to now. me that I could talk to you all day about this, but I know you have an early start tomorrow, so <laughs> I don't want to hold you forever. But is there anything else that you wanted to share while you're here? I feel like we covered pretty much most of it. I do highly encourage the volunteering prior, though. That was by far the most helpful part of my foundation was being able to volunteer as a grad student and being able to volunteer just as a pet partner's team and being able to go out and do things not therapeutically because that helped me establish yeah. my relationship with Jameson. So that would be my big takeaway in addition to just knowing your stuff. As with yeah. any specialty, you got to know your stuff. So. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to share the work that you're doing with Jameson. And thanks for having me. It was good to meet you formally and good to see your journey as well through all your podcasts. So yeah, for sure. For if people want to follow Jameson, it's Jameson underscore the underscore. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Take care. Right, bye. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Therapy Dog Talk. If you did, please do me a favor and leave a review and rating on the podcast platform of your choice. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for Therapy Dog Talk, send me an email at hello at therapydogtalk.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.